Our gospel lesson this morning is found in Mark chapter 7. We are reading verses 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask for understanding. We've read heavy things this morning about our hearts and about our sins. And Lord, we ask that you would allow us to have a clear understanding of our problem and the solution that you give us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Last May, I went with my sons to the Grand Canyon. If you've tracked with my sermons for some months, you've heard some illustrations. But perhaps one of the most interesting moments in the whole trip of the Grand Canyon was spent on the outer rims. Because having seen the South Rim before, when we traveled to the North Rim to begin our hike, it was interesting to note that the North Rim of the Grand Canyon is entirely different from the South Rim. The geography, the landscape, the vegetation, completely different. And the area is actually called the North Kaibab Forest, and there's roads that wind through the forest. And it is a forest that has seen intense pressure from fires over the past 10, 15, 20 years. And you see the damages done as massive forest fires have swept through the mountainsides, destroying everything. 
And then suddenly you will see the line where the fire was stopped. And so the guide who was taking us on the trip was explaining to us two different theories of fires that the forestry, forestry service has used over the past 25 years. And the first theory is fire suppression. That is, when a forest fire breaks out, the goal is to suppress the fire as quickly as possible, to not permit any burning to take place in the forest that are under their control. Now, it's interesting, because while it does preserve life and preserves the forest, there is an inverse thing that happens as well, is that the undergrowth builds and builds to where you can no longer walk through the forest. But actually, the underbrush becomes so thick that when a fire does burn, it burns hotter. Traditionally, the North Kaibab Forest was a place where on an acre of land, there would have been six ponderosa pine trees with very little undergrowth. And that was because there is a natural course of fires that take place in nature. Lightning strikes and fires burn. And the fires would have a controlling aspect of removing the underbrush and also any saplings. And then the fires would actually strengthen the large ponderosa pines. That fire was actually good for the tree. It tested it. And the tree would weather the fire and then live for many, many uh, more years to come. And so the forestry service began to learn that fire suppression was not the best way to actually preserve the forest. That by leaving the underbrush, they were actually going to destroy all the ponderosa pines because the fires burned so hot. So then they, they changed their tactic and went to more what was called control burning, <laughs> realizing that fire needed to burn. And if fire was allowed to burn and allowed to burn regularly, it actually wouldn't burn as hot. It's interesting to think about because when we come to Jesus' words to the Pharisees in Mark 7, you have Jesus diagnosing that there are two different approaches to how we handle sin. And one is very much this idea of sin suppression. Keep it out. Keep away from it. Add rules so that you don't commit it. Stay as far from it as possible. And then you have Jesus exploring something quite different, though. He defines the problem differently, so he comes up with a different solution as well. Because what Jesus meets in the Pharisees is he meets a tradition. He meets a very religious community who believed that they were the answer to Israel's problems. They believed that they were the clean ones. And so in verses 1 through 7, or excuse me, in verses 1 through 6, you find a heavy focus where the Pharisees are asking Jesus' disciples, well, they're asking Jesus actually, why do the disciples not eat with clean hands? Why are they not observing the tradition of the elders? And Jesus has to answer this question because this was the tradition they held on to, and this is what it meant to be clean. This is what it meant to be a true Jew. And so they washed everything in front of a meal. You see the list that's elaborated, and you ask, why did they wash a dining couch? <laughs> but it was the custom at that point to lay while you ate on these big, large couches. And so the couches would be sprinkled um, 
and uh, they would, that was called immersion. And, uh, and so the couch was just sprinkled with water and cleansed in some way. But they washed everything. They were scrupulous and fastidious about it. Obsessive in many regards about their washings. And friends, they diagnosed that the problem with Israel and with the world was because of what was outside. And Jesus diagnoses the problem very different. He says, no, the problem is found within. He says it's out of the heart that corruption comes. That corruption doesn't enter you in the forms of certain food. That corruption lives in you as a disease in the heart. It's not a virus you contract. It's a disease that you live with, that you are born with. And so Jesus turns the tables. And He declares actually all foods to be clean. But then He says that there is no person that is clean. And so He turns it on the Pharisees that they would have to get over themselves. And He specifically gives them five critiques. Five critiques when it comes to the traditions that they observed. The traditions that they were using to try to manage their sin and suppress it. And He has five critiques of it. These will be short. I know that I've had you in more church than you're normally accustomed to in the last week, okay? The first one is this. And here's why it's important for us to consider, though, guys. Phariseeism was something that lived in the first century. But it's something that can be very alive and well in the church today. That we also can erect our traditions and we can erect our little rules and mores for how we're going to deal with sin and how we're going to manage it. And the thing is, is that when you begin to look at the Pharisees and then look at our own lives, we can find a lot of proximity to their own struggles. So listen to these five critiques Jesus has of their traditions. First, with our traditions, we can easily trespass what God actually commands. The Pharisees had a pretty incisive critique of the disciples. He, they said that they ate with hands that were defiled. That was that they were dirty. The problem is, is that the Mosaic law never says that you had to wash your hands like this. And this is what often happens in traditions, is there's a growth and an expansion of what God actually commands. And the Pharisees, what they had done is they had taken the laws from Leviticus that were related to the priest. And the priest were to wash their hands. And then the priests were to do certain things in the temple. And the Pharisees said, if we're going to be a holy nation and truly be God's people, then what we must do is everyone must become a priest and every home must become a temple. Does that sound like an altogether bad mantra? The Pharisees didn't have horns. They weren't little Satans running around. They were religious and moral reformers inside of Israel. And so they were saying, everyone, every Israelite is a priest and every home is going to become a temple. And we're going to get serious about this revelation from God and we're going to put specific application on it. And so everyone needs to wash their hands fastidiously and we need to cleanse our homes and our bodies. It all makes very good sense. But do you see what they did? 
They had actually gone way past what God had actually commanded. And they were beginning to require it. And they were putting burdens on people that God actually didn't place on them. And friends, this is when we get in trouble with Jesus. When we try to be more righteous than the Bible, it's always a bad idea. When we add to it, even in our well-intentioned ways, our tradition is going to triumph over God's Word and over what He wants. Many years ago, I was invited to come to speak at a small gathering, a conference, and, um, and I was never invited back, and I learned why. But during one of the talks, I had made certain remarks, and one of the, um, the staff members came up to me following the talk and said, I'm trying to work out what you said about Bible reading. He said, I, I have a student um, who is studying God's Word daily. I said, well, that's remarkable. That's, that's perhaps better than I ever achieved in my years of college ministry. He said, yeah, but the issue is, is that he will not make his observations and then his interpretations and then follow up with his applications. And so I asked him, I said, well, what's, what's the problem? He said, he's supposed to do it this way. <laughs> We're supposed to make observations and then do our interpretations and then do our applications. And... Uh, I have been trained in the same inductive Bible study method. And I said, you know, that's, it's, it's a great way to do it, but um, what is the student doing daily? And he said, well, he's reading the Bible. I said, well, so what don't you like about what he's doing? And we went through the observations, interpretations, applications thing once again. And uh, after five or six times of going through this observation, interpretation, application, I was hoping that the, the repetition, it would start to catch him just how ludicrous it was. But the point is, is that God wants us to own His Word, to have it down in the depth and core of our being, for it to be written on the heart, which of course involves reading it, but I don't think God really cares about observations, interpretations, and applications, as helpful as it can be. And I have stacks of notebooks from hours spent in my life doing that, and it's wonderful. But friends, when we begin to judge people, and we begin to put burdens on people, because they're not following very specific applications that we have developed, traditions that we have developed ourselves, then something is desperately wrong. Okay? And so we have to be very careful with our traditions. We can easily trespass what God actually commands. But the second problem with traditions is that we can easily devolve into traditionalism. Okay? Traditions are the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Okay? And this easily happens to faith communities. Listen to what Jesus says. This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so with their lips they said all the right words, they went through the right motions, but the heart was empty. It was not transformed. It was not engaged with God. And this is what we call traditionalism. And this was Jesus' critiques of the Pharisees and how true can it be of the church as well. 
From time to time, people will ask me, Chuck, why do you teach your children manners? And this particularly happened in Washington, D.C., where you had people from all over the country, and they would just simply excuse it, well, Chuck is Southern, so of course he's going to teach his children manners and to be polite. And I loved it when I was asked the question, because I would try to explain something. Because manners in the South, I was taught, yes, ma'am, no, sir. I was taught things to show deference to people. And do you know what that actually is? It's an outworking of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. We just read it. And it was a southern way of working out obedience to what God commands us to do. Now, did any of you learn manners that way? Don't lie. I didn't. I simply learned manners through rote repetition, and this is the way that life was to work. This is what you do. And so I would say, yes, ma'am, and did I mean it? No. I could say, yes, sir. I could be polite. I could call you mister and be thinking all kinds of things in my head. And friends, that is where oftentimes our traditions lead us, is that we don't understand the rationale behind it. We don't understand the the transformative behavior that God actually wants because manners in and of themselves, why do I teach them to my children? Because I do believe they are a specific application working out the fifth commandment. But one of the things that we also try to be so careful about with our kids is because you follow this set of rules and applications, don't think you're righteous. And don't think your righteousness exists in the fact that you work out these manners and apply them. Because, friends, it it easily devolves into a traditionalism where we've lost the meaning. That it's simply gone, and we do the manners for the manner's sake. Or whatever uh, other example that you would like to give is service from the lips, but not from the heart. Jesus' third critique of traditions. With our traditions, we can blunt the force of God's commands. Look what Jesus says in verse 9 again. I love these words. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He then gives an example And then in verse 13, he picks up again. He says, thus making void the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It's interesting because the Pharisees, what they did with the law is they were trying to maximize it. And they were trying to give people application points to take home. This is how we are going to renew Israel in her life. We want you to go do this. And they were very specific. Very specific about how they wanted this to work out. And so the example that Jesus cites is about a man who would declare his wealth to be korban. Now that word simply means that it's set apart and it's not to be touched. So evidently there was a provision inside the Pharisees where you could say, my wealth is korban. It will not go to support my parents. My parents have no access to my funds and my money. 
But what my money will be used for is to support me in my religious service as a scribe. Okay? And so do you hear what Jesus says? In your tradition, you've actually skirted the Word of God. You've avoided the command. You've missed the point. And friends, this is oftentimes what happens in our traditions, is that we end up blunting God's Word. We end up allowing it to lose its force because we narrow down its application and we think we have it under control and we get it nice and tidy so that we can manage it. And what God rather wants is for us just to simply hear the command, honor your father and your mother or any of the other ten and allow it to sit in its full force and for you to have to work out what it is to apply that in all the various relationships where respect and reverence and honor are due. He doesn't want us to have an easy way out. And friends, He definitely doesn't want us to negate it and blunt the force of what He says. And our traditions can easily create ways in which we blunt the force of God's Word and we're no longer dealing with Him, but simply with the tradition itself. The fourth thing that Jesus critiques here is with our traditions, we can erect barriers that exclude others. This is fascinating how the Pharisees worked in the first century. They were the reform movement inside of Israel. They were the clean ones. And so they would not fellowship or share meals with those who were considered unclean. If you remember the controversies up to this point where the Pharisees have critiqued Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners because they were considered to be unclean. They were outside the camp. It was not permissible to eat with them. And so they were very concerned when they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? This was a big deal. And they were ready to exclude Jesus, and they were ready to exclude the disciples because they were not coming up to the line of the tradition of the elders. And friends, it's that principle of social exclusion where we're willing to then harm our neighbor, to say no to neighbor over the tradition of the elders that is so wrong here. And this is where the Pharisees seem to perhaps be missing so much of the law of God that it is related to love of neighbor and what it means to give ourselves to our neighbor and protect our neighbor's interest that all the commandments are inherently communal and social in that way. That they, of course, are related to God, but then the best interest of our neighbor is always related to how we love and serve and worship God. And so they are willing to exclude the neighbor, to cut him off, because they didn't follow their specific applications. And friends, when it comes to cutting people off, we need to be very careful and we need to be very clear that we have it on God's authority and not simply on our own invention. And that's a struggle in traditional environments is that we can easily get lost and confuse the two. Now finally, the fifth critique that Jesus gives is that with our traditions... We tend to focus on behaviors 
not causes. As Jesus develops his whole argument here, he then turns. He makes the turn, and he's identifying that it's not food that pollutes you. And he's going to make the radical turn that pollution is what comes forth from the human heart. Because we are born in sin, as we read. We are born in iniquity, as we read in Psalm 51. And traditions, when we have rules and applications that have been passed down, sometimes from generation to generation, what we find is they typically deal with smoke that rises from the fire, but not with the actual fire itself. And so the Pharisees were all into specific applications of what people were to do and what they were not to do, of how they were to tithe and what part of the mint did they have to tithe to God and what part of the garden needed to be turned in and had to be weighed out just so. They were scrupulous about it. They were caught up in it. But the one thing that never happens inside of these traditions is we never get down to the root causes of the sin. That we're trying to manage the sin. We're trying to control it. It's like fire suppression. And Jesus says that the problem is not outside and then enters into you. The problem is inside, that it lives inside of you. And that's what corrupts everything that you do. Several years ago, I had a young guy come to me, and he came with a sheepish confession. He was newly married, beautiful wife, and he said, Chuck, I'm absolutely addicted to pornography. We began to talk about the extents of what he was into, and I asked him if there were any patterns to the habit. He said, well, it's oftentimes at work. We said, well, why is that? He said, well, it's it's not a lack of knowledge. I've grown up in the church. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know I'm sinning against God, myself, and my wife. I'm destroying our sex life in many ways by what I'm doing. Well, what's the habit? And he said, well, you know, when I get stressed at work, it's just very easy to hit a click and to go down a couple of further clicks and to be looking at all kinds of things that just entertain me. And we began to take the conversation further. And what rolled out was just his sense of inadequacy and failure at work. How bored he was. How unsatisfactory his job was. It was not a job that he wanted. He wanted to be doing something else, but he wasn't quite sure of what that something else was. And so he found himself just completely depressed and despairing that God even cared about his life. And so you know the way that he coped with it? Sexual sin. And the problem for my friend was that he had been, I was not the first counselor he had sought out. But up to that point, the people he had talked to had simply focused upon his sexual sin. You know what? It was wrong. And there was perverse stuff there. But do you know when my friend's life began to change? Is when he began to understand the fire that was burning underneath the smoke. The pornography was just simply the smoke off of the fire. And the fire was all of his disillusionment and his uh, visions of grandeur about what his career should have been and what could have happened and his lack of focus and his not knowing what God really wanted him to do that led to this depression and despair and self-loathing and self-pity. That was the fire. 
And friends, our traditions normally very easily focus upon just the concrete behavior and say that's wrong. And they struggle and limp to get to the actual cause and the root of what's going on in the heart and what the heart is loving that's leading to the corrupt behavior. And this is where Jesus says our problem lies. That it's in the heart. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Out of the heart of man comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart of man comes theft. Out of the heart of man, murder. Out of the heart of man, adultery. Out of the heart of man, coveting. Out of the heart of man, wickedness. Out of the heart of man, deceit. Out of the heart of man, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And friends, if we're going to have the gospel's answer to our problem, we have to correctly diagnose the problem. That your problem is not that sin can come in and attack you, and you can catch it like a common cold from a piece of food you eat. No, it's that sin lives inside of you, that it's taken up residence. It's polluted you thoroughly in and through. And that Jesus, what He desires to do is to expose that. And He desires to run a steady burn in your life. Controlled burn. And do you know what the controlled burn keeps you from? It keeps you from the disastrous forest fire. But what it requires is an openness to realize your heart in the depths of its wickedness, to constantly have it laid open. And people sometimes ask, Chuck, why do you do confession every worship service and every day? Why do you try to walk people through those emotions? Because, friends, it's a controlled burn. It's constantly laying your heart in front of God, knowing how desperately wicked it is, knowing that God is also renewing it, but confessing your sins in front of God and being humble before Him, being poor in spirit, allowing Him to renew and work and strengthen you through that means of constant confession and self-awareness and acknowledgement. Because friends, the worst crash and burn that I see in the church and in my peers' lives are when there is suppression and when there is denial and when the undergrowth grows up and is not burned away by the gospel and by self-awareness and humility, and then the forest fire, when it burns, leads to a catastrophic crash. And that Jesus' way of dealing with sin is not to give you some rules, to give you very concrete measures, but it's to take you into a journey of the heart as to who you are, the depths of sin, He's not scared of it. And He certainly is not ignorant of it. He understands it. But we sometimes like our traditions. We like that they make us feel powerful. We like that they give us positions of, of honor and prestige if we can follow the rules. There's lots of good reasons to be a Pharisee. But it doesn't impress Jesus. It's not a religious orientation that ultimately goes anywhere. It's dead tradition. He says we'll honor Him with our lips, 
but our heart will be far from Him. That we have a fine way of blunting the commandment of God. And so friends, allow Jesus to welcome you into His way of diagnosing the problem that lies in the heart, of exposing it, of making it plain. And then in His grace, He forgives and He cleanses. Next week, we'll read of a marvelous restoration of a woman very far from God. And that is the grace of Jesus that in faith, He cleanses and renews. And He gives us a new heart and takes us upon the journey of excavating all that is there, of bringing it out, allowing the controlled burn to happen because it's under His wise management. He's got it under control. It's His work. And so fault to that grace, not to the traditions of men and the traditions of sin management. This is the way of our Savior.